Hi, my name is Chelsea Fairless. And I'm Lauren Garoni. And today we are discussing the iconic 90s teen comedy, Clueless. Uh-oh. I'm realizing I watched the TV show. Did you mean the movie? Oh, fuck off. <laughs> but actually, we should have watched the TV show, if for no other reason than the fact that the theme song totally slapped. Do you remember? I don't think they got the woman that did Supermodel to do it. I believe that Joel Sobule did not record the Clueless theme song, but you know what? Let's put a snippet of it here. the days when movies had so much cultural cachet that they were like you know what fuck it people love this movie let's just make it a tv show it'll be just as popular right well i still watched it it definitely had its moments and two of our very good friends actually wrote on that show oh shit you're right you know what maybe we should do a rewatch a very special every outfit with them also i would be lying if i said that i did not have Barbie dolls from the TV show. Holy shit. It's the kind of thing that Tat doesn't let me display, but <laughs> along with my Rosie O'Donnell Barbie, also still in its original packaging. I now know that there's going to be comments asking for a crib style showing of all of your Barbie dolls. It would scare people too much, honestly. However, I want to clarify, I don't just collect Barbies like a freak. I only collect celebrity Barbies. Because you're a connoisseur. So it's like, I got a Elizabeth Taylor, I got Tippy Hedren, I got Fan Bing Bing, I got all kinds of shit. This is not helping to quell the request to see your collection, Joe. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. I think Clueless is obviously seminal to our growing up, the costumes by Mona May are outstanding, but this film ushered in an era that I think defined our adolescence and teenagehood of movies because with the success of Clueless, every film studio was like, oh, let's just take old dusty novels from public domain and make them teen comedies now. It did work with 10 Things I Hate About You. And as I was watching Clueless, they certainly borrowed a few things from Clueless and directly put it into 10 Things I Hate About You. I'm saying this for those who don't know, the film was written by Amy Heckerling and directed by her, but it is based on the, the Jane Austen novel, Emma. Which I have never read. I have only seen the Gwyneth Paltrow film. Well, Autumn DeWild did a 2020 version with Anya Taylor-Joy that's supposed to be incredible. Oh, that's cool. So we'll watch that next. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, this film was my entire identity yep. when it came out. Because you were a little young, but I was 11 when it came out. So obviously Cher and her friends were everything that I aspired to be. I completely changed the way I dressed. I remember the year after Clueless came out, I had to buy a new backpack for school. And I wanted a mini backpack so bad that I literally just wore the silver mini backpack every day and carried my books in my hands. Oh my goodness. Like suffering for fashion even back then. I had the poster on my wall also for a really long time, which was shot by David LaChapelle, by the way. Wow. Well, let us mourn a time when they actually did separate photo shoots with the actual actors to make up the posters and not those horrifying Photoshop posters we have now. I know. 
Well, as you know, my parents did not monitor what I watched at all. So I watched this movie, I don't think in theaters, but as soon as it came out on VHS, I know that was the thing I was always renting at Blockbuster. And I think my parents finally broke down and got a VHS of it. Or perhaps a Laserdisc, which my dad did own. Yeah, I had the VHS. The crazy thing about this movie is while it is so of its time, pretty much everything about it holds up today. Like, there's a few things that are politically incorrect now, but... <laughs> don't say. But apart from that, like, you could make this movie now. The costuming would be the same. Everyone still styles teenagers like this. For better or for worse. Again, it works in Clueless, uh, in Do Revenge, not so much. Yeah. The film that has come closest to this of being right on time, and by right on time, I mean just before all of the things noted in the films, like... The cell phone usage in Clueless was probably slightly ahead of its time. Satirical, the way that they use the cell phones. But yeah. it, it doesn't feel aged now because we're all on our phones this compulsively anyway. Yeah. And I feel like the only other film that has come close to this is Ingrid Goes West, of a film satirizing influencers right on the edge of when that was going to become omnipresent in popular culture. Totally. Shall we get into it? Sure. I forget about this montage sequence every time. <laughs> it's so good. This movie opens with a bang. You already know exactly the kind of film you're watching in the first 30 seconds. And it is not a Noxzema commercial, even though it looks like a Noxzema commercial. Well, they shot it like a Noxzema commercial in the sense that there's really intense zooming. Yeah, that was such a thing with commercials that were marketed towards teenagers in that era. Specifically, the iconic Rebecca Gayhart Noxzema commercial, which is what I believe this is referencing. We can put that in the show notes. Just going back a second with Amy Heckerling's background, she directed Fast Times at Ridgemont High, so she definitely had an understanding or at least a reputation for being able to understand and direct teens in a really zeitgeisty film. I did not realize that in between Fast Times and Clueless, she wrote and directed the first Look Who's Talking. Which also stars um, Miss Geis. She loves Miss Geis because uh, her name's Twinkie. <laughs> I know, I learned that, you know, like on Amazon, how like the actors' names come yes. up. Twinkie is just like a crazy name. It's like being named Pookie or something. They must genuinely be friends, Amy Heckerling and her BFF Twinkie, because the film that Amy Heckerling did after this, Loser, which feels like a film we should also do, I don't think I've ever seen it, also has Twinkie in it. Very cool. I actually went to some event at BAM like 10 years ago, and it was Alicia Silverstone and Amy Heckerling talking about Clueless, and they screened it, but I don't remember one thing, not a single thing from that evening of my life. Don't know why, but... Lost to the sands of time. What I can remember that this film begins with a montage sequence. The thing that I've always questioned is, why is Amber hanging out with them? <laughs> if they hate her ass so yeah. much. <laughs> so then we immediately slam into Cher getting ready in her day. And, you know, a lot of the film does not feel aged because it was so prescient about technology. But... Again, every time I watch this film, why is there no approximation of Cher's computer closet program game? Whatever Windows 95 situation she has going on that's 
hooked up to the uh, rotating dry cleaners closet that she had custom built. I like to think that someone like Ivy Getty has a dry cleaner rotation closet. Is that a thing? Because the only time I've ever seen this is in Clueless and in two weeks notice. The incredible film with Sandra Bullock and Hugh Grant. Yeah. Is it more efficient? It probably takes as much room as a walk-in closet. If you're lucky enough to have such a thing. Yeah, it's true. Great use of David Bowie's fashion also in this scene. Incredible soundtrack. Did you have the soundtrack? Of course, everyone had the soundtrack. But this is crazy because we're like two minutes in the film. We've already got Kids in America. Now we're on to David Bowie's fashion. And then it goes immediately, I think, into Just a Girl. Yes, by no doubt. Just as that song is cresting. Again, this film is perfection because... So many right aesthetic decisions all made at exactly the right time. Yeah. From the casting of Alicia Silverstone, who did not have to audition. Would you like to hear some of the people who did audition? Sure. Reese Witherspoon, Carrie Russell, Tiffany Amber Thiessen. Oh, that would have been terrible. Angelina Jolie and Gwyneth Paltrow were both considered for the role, but neither auditioned. Reese Witherspoon could have done this. Easily. She would have been great. She later did as Elle Woods in Legally Blonde. Yeah, I think it would have been just as successful if Reese Witherspoon had starred in it. But Alicia Silverstone was on a rise as someone that was in the Aerosmith videos, which I think the only other person in recent memory that has had such a lift from a music video would be Emily Ratajkowski from the Blurred Line music (laughs) videos. Totally. It's hard to really understand how much one woman's career was built on three appearances in an Aerosmith video. I love the whole jailbait, schoolgirl, road trip aesthetic. Which that kind of was Alicia Silverstone's career before Clueless. She could have had a very similar Brooke Shields-esque career because she did a film called The Crush with Carrie Elwes. Which is an amazing movie if no one has ever seen it or if you haven't seen it recently, it holds up. You can also tell if you haven't seen The Crush or not in a while, notice that he's saying her name differently because the guy that wrote this and I think directed it based it on a real thing that happened to him about like some nympho teenager that was obsessed with him and he used her real fucking name and the family sued him. So right before it came out, they had to dub her name. That's so fucked up. I've never noticed that. That is a movie that could be remade for the Me Too era. Are we reversing the genders or are we still just having a teenage girl obsessed with a white man? It's that, but the thing is like, Because no one believes him then, but no one would really believe him Him now, now. you know? Do we really want to make a movie about the one good guy? Psychotic, horny teenage girls exist, Lauren, and they deserve representation too. And they really had their day in the sun in the early 90s between that and Poison Ivy. And uh, Reese Witherspoon's early film roles as well. Because she had a similar background to Alicia at this point. She wasn't doing music videos but like freeway fear all those jailbait movies that she made her name on people are like please fucking get back to the movie <laughs> so we meet Cher's father played by dan hedaya a man with one of the most outrageous chin clefts i've ever seen 
prominent chin cleft. <laughs> I mean, I have a chin cleft, but his chin cleft, that's insane. I think another reason that this film holds up is the fact that the dialogue is so razor sharp. And a lot of these jokes, I didn't get till I started rewatching Clueless when I was older. Totally. Like the, it's been a couple months, so I told them that we would go out to Malibu. And he's like, those degenerates, they are your parents. <laughs> I mean, it is a commitment to get out to Malibu, unless you're the Kardashians and live in Chatsworth. True. I will say that Cher's dad is the scariest man alive. Like, if I was one of Cher's friends, I would never set foot in that fucking house. If there was ever a cinematic portrayal or parallel to my father and myself, I think the closest approximation. Your dad is not like that. No, no. But he is always on his cell phone and he does love me tremendously. That's true. But like when one of your friends comes over for dinner, he's not like, get the fuck out of my seat. (laughs) It's because he's on his phone. He can't tell you to get the fuck out of his seat. So her dad tells her that her stepbrother is coming over for dinner. She's annoyed. He's like, you know what? You divorce wives, not children. So which I was always like, oh, so he is a compassionate man. He does have a soft spot for Josh. You know, doesn't care that he wants to get into environmental law, but he does care for him. Doesn't seem like he was married to Josh's mother for a long time. No. So Cher drives a white Jeep, but she only has a learner's permit. So she's really living on the edge. She goes and picks up her friend Dion and notes that her and Dion are friends because we both know what it's like for people to be jealous of us. She also says that her and Dion are named after singers. Dion named after Dion Warwick, Cher after Cher, who are great singers who now do infomercials. What infomercial did Cher do? She did aerobics videos. Okay. That then had infomercials. But this is only a few years before her big comeback single, Believe. So she was in a bit of a valley career-wise in 95, I would say. All right, the joke is warranted. There are several L.A. truisms. For as much of a satire of L.A. culture this film is, there are... A few things that remain true, one of which is Cher blowing past the stop sign. And when Dion notes this, she says, I totally paused. I'm sure we have had the exact same conversation, Chelsea, when I've been driving us. I also love how they diss each other's outfits in this scene. Like Cher's like looking at her hat and she's like, oh, what did you like go shopping with Dr. Seuss? And then Dion's like, at least I didn't skin a collie to make my backpack. It's faux. (laughs) But to be fair, Dion's hat is insane. Like, it looks like it could be from, like, the ascot scene in My Fair Lady or some shit. Well, Chelsea, did you know that during the filming, there are 53 different kinds of tartan slash plaid used, seven of which are worn by Cher and 12 by other major characters? Yeah, a lot of plaid in this movie. An interesting choice by Mona May the costume designer who did this and then back-to-back films because she did this in 95 and then Romeo and Michelle in 96. I think this is, I'm trying to think. You have something like True Beverly Hills, but this really feels like the first time, I take that back. I guess Heather's also has a heightened idea of how people dress in high school, but this was taken to an apex we had never seen before. (laughs) Their portrayal of this high school also kind of reminds me of Greece in a way. For sure. Like this sort of different stylistic tribes are so pronounced 
everyone seems like they're having so much fun. Like, it just seems like a real scene. It did give me an unrealistic idea of what high school would be like. Oh, of course. One being that it would be incredibly fun. So they get to school and we're introduced to Murray, Dion's boyfriend, with whom she has a tumultuous relationship, which Cher attributes to seeing that Ike and Tina Turner movie too many times, which reminds me, do you remember how many Ike and Tina Turner jokes there were in the 90s? Yes. Like, it was constant. And of course, that shit would never fly now. But in retrospect, it's it's kind of shocking how ubiquitous that was. Clueless was filmed in 94, didn't come out till 95. But I think that difference in timing saves us from a lot of O.J. Simpson jokes. Yes. Which I think if it was made a year later when the trial was happening, we would have gotten... Yeah, you're probably right. And while Dion and Murray aren't in a physically abusive relationship, rewatching this now, I'm like, oh, they're so toxic. Like, this is deeply unhealthy. Yeah, they're not going to (laughs) last. Like, when we meet him, he's like, woman, why aren't you answering my pages or whatever? Oh, Murray definitely has a men's rights podcast where he refers to women not as women anymore, but females. (laughs) So now we drop into Cher's debate class. Her teacher is our boy, Wallace Shawn. There's always a Sex in the City connection, some way, somehow. And Cher is arguing in favor of immigration, a great topic for her. She feels very passionately that the Hadians should be able to seek refuge. Which she mispronounces, which I guess is something Alicia Silverstone really did. And the director, Amy Heckerling, was like, no one correct her. (laughs) I want to keep this in the movie. Well, it's perfect because it really does illustrate like... Her privilege, her naivete, it says so much about the character and her false confidence, of course. You got to fake it till you make it. I'm just sad that we didn't see Amber arguing against immigration (laughs) because that would have been iconic. I'm with Amber. I like a whole like, I clearly didn't prepare, but like, thank God that was so bad. So I could just be like, how am I supposed to respond to that, Mr. Hall? Well, Amber is positioned as someone that is smarter than Cher, but we never really see it. There are several cut scenes. We'll put the trailer in the show notes, but there were several scenes that were filmed, don't make it into the final cut of the movie, but are in the trailer. One of which is Cher and Amber mocking each other's hair in the bathroom. But seemingly no scene where we see Amber be a, I don't know, in the Mensa society or something. We also meet the school's biggest D-bag, Elton, who left his cranberry CD in the quad. (laughs) Look, It doesn't matter the time period. There's always the D-bag music guy. But I don't think he would be a Cranberries fan. Like, the Cranberries are a little too, like, Starbucks, Lilith Fair vibe. Like, I feel like he would listen to rap music and then, like, corporate rock, like Bon Jovi or something. Blues Traveler, perhaps. Blues Traveler and Hootie. And maybe he's, like, an early adopter of Dave Matthews Band. Oh, yeah, he would love DMB. (laughs) This is where we get our introduction to Travis that has the iconic line, okay, like the way I feel about the Rolling Stones (laughs) is the way my kids are going to feel about Nine Inch Nails, so I really should stop tormenting my mom. Well, I don't think you should play songs about wanting to like fuck like animals in front of your kids for one thing. 
Nine Inch Nails has endured like the Rolling Stones. Trent Reznor is still touring. But was it not cool to like the Rolling Stones in the 90s? Because I remember liking alternative music, but I wasn't like, fuck the Beatles. I think the idea is that in the 90s, when the Rolling Stones, when Keith Richards and, and Mick and all those other guys were in their 60s and 70s, the idea that they were still touring was not cool. They're huge sellouts, which is perhaps the biggest problem. Well, Mick Jagger went to the London School of Economics. He's like, what if I apply that to being a rock star? He's like, what if there was a Rolling Stones x Me Undies collab, <laughs> which tragically does exist. At least they haven't gotten to the level of uh, kiss condoms and kiss coffins. They probably have. We just don't know about it. Anyway... Everyone gets bad grades in debate class because Wallace Shawn is like a miserable person, basically. Yes, that later Cher is like, it's because he's not getting laid. That's the core issue. And we get that brilliant scene where Cher and Dion are talking on the phone, venting, and then they sort of intersect in the hallway and immediately like flip down their phones. Yeah, and the call. Again, something that in 1995 was satirical. Why would anyone be on a cell phone when they're in the same building? And now, just accurate. <laughs> I mean, if you made the movie now, they would be on their phones until they literally bump into each other. Yeah. So then Cher comes home from school. We get the joke that her house is classic. The columns date all the way back to 1972. And then this always throws me for a loop because it's said so casually that Cher's mother died from a freak liposuction accident. There's a very beautiful oil portrait of her with a... Uh... Fabulous 70s hairstyle up in the house. You know, how she wanted to be remembered. Her stepbrother Josh is there listening to Radiohead. And Cher has that iconic line that's like, what is it about college and crybaby music? <laughs> Fair point. And then she plays with his plaid shirt and says, what is this, a nod to the crispy Seattle weather? Also, I like that he's wearing an Amnesty International shirt. That very much situates it within a time period. It was like either that free Tibet, save the whales, yes. save the trees. Like the causes in the 90s were completely different than they are now. Well, you know, they're very Clinton era pre 9-11 types of causes. But that was Paul Rudd's own Amnesty International shirt. Mona May was like, what about save the trees? He's like, what about my rockin' Amnesty International <laughs> shirt? Cher announces that she intends to negotiate her grades. They are all having dinner together at what might be the earliest dinner that's ever happened in the world. It's very sunny out. It feels like it's 4 p.m. But when Dan <laughs> Hedaya yells at you the dinner is happening, you gotta go. Yeah, does negotiating your grades work, Chell? I've never tried, but I wonder how many people tried after watching <laughs> Clueless. This is where Cher figures out that the only way to get better grades is to match make the two single cishet teachers and put them together. And clearly it was a great idea. So she starts doing matchmaker shit. We get the great line because she writes Miss Geist a love note from a secret admirer. And Dion asks her, did you write that? And she goes, no, it's a famous quote. From where? Cliff's notes. 
That's where I learned what Cliff's Notes was because I was in like elementary school. So you're not trying to like cheat with your schoolwork. All books are 52 pages in elementary school. So (laughs) that's true with that big text. And we've learned from our European audience that Cliff's Notes does not exist. So that must have been very confusing for you guys in this scene. You're like, what? It must be a funny quotes book in America. There's another scene in Wallace Shawn's class. And I don't remember why this scene is here, but I do remember remember that Cher uses the euphemism surfing the crimson wave to refer to her period. Another thing that I did not catch until my 27th rewatch in my 20s (laughs) of what she was trying to say. Did you have in your school a public shaming of all the tardies? No. You just get sent to the principal's office. Like if you were cutting class or late enough, like it's not like you would have to like wear a dunce hat. Being late for class when it's first period, I've always thought is funny, especially when you can't drive. Yeah, that's just on your parents. That's my thing. In elementary school, I always used to get represented Reprimanded for being late, and I'm like, I was ready. Kathy was doing her makeup. <laughs> Maybe you want to talk to the adult in the room, as I am seven, and clearly cannot get myself to school. <sighs> So Cher's back at home and her father gruffly calls her into his office to say that he has received a notice that she's been driving without an adult. She has her learner's permit and cannot. Isn't it just because she didn't pay her parking tickets? No, she got a ticket for driving while being alone with a learner's permit. Okay. And then another thing gets sent to the house. He goes, this is your second warning. And she goes, I didn't get a first warning. The ticket is the first warning. That just triggered me because I was like, oh shit, I have to pay my parking ticket. (laughs) My across the street neighbors are so fucking vindictive. Whenever I can't drive into my driveway and I have to like park at the base of the driveway, they literally call like the traffic cops to give me a ticket like within an hour. And it's like, I'm sorry. I'm not like hauling my Whole Foods bags like all the way up the hill from Beverly Glen. Anyway, L.A. problems. Anyway, so Cher has to find someone with nothing to do. And wouldn't you know, Josh is there reading Nietzsche? Yeah, reading his book by the pool, as you do. And Cher convinces him to drive with her. Well, he relents because he knows that she won't stop annoying him until he does whatever she wants. He's also growing not just a goatee, but the Van Dyke, which was a big deal in 95, 96. (laughs) I didn't know there was a name for that. Oh, yeah. This is where we get the iconic line when they're talking about parking, where he's like, do you want to practice? And she's like, what's the point? Everywhere you go has valet, which it's true in her world, I suppose. It is an L.A. truism. I remember many years ago, my friend Summer was visiting and she saw a sign that said public valet $8. And she went, what is that? And I was like, well, that means that they'll park your car, but you don't have to be going to that establishment. Another LA truism, that is correct. Pretty much everywhere you go does have a valet parking option. I don't know. I think that's true on the west side, but if you go east, not true. I just had to park my own car in some harrowing parking garage in the fashion district yesterday. I'm, I'm so sorry for you, Chelsea. Also, Cher and Josh go in a back and forth. Josh is talking about how Marky Mark, not yet the... Uh, Reformed bad boy indie actor. darling yeah. actor. Yes, yeah, still uh, known for his pants dropping in Calvin Klein ads, that he might plant a tree for tree people? I guess that's like a nonprofit that exists. Tree People does exist, but 
Cher, I think, does have a point of just getting a gardener. Yeah, she doesn't really understand that it's more about the publicity of him planting the tree than the physical act of planting the tree. Because I don't think any celebrity that is, quote, planting a tree is actually planting a tree. They are planting a tree in front of cameras. Like, that was such a thing in the 90s. Celebrities were planting trees left and right. But that's what I'm saying is like, I don't know if they properly planted a tree. Something tells me that someone who actually knew what the fuck they were doing came in afterwards to make sure it actually grew. Well, they don't have to actually dig the hole. They just put the tree in the hole that someone has already dug and then they put the dirt over top of it. Where are those trees now? I need that Vice article. Back at high school, we see Amber in like a really insane outfit, which is like an army green skirt suit with fuzzy leopard cuffs and dog tags and... Dog tags, that was like such a thing in the 90s. I remember wearing my dad's like old dog tags from the army when I was in middle school. Wow, stolen valor, Chell. Stolen valor. Well, did you notice that her boyfriend or her boy toy is matching her and her beat as she's coming out of the cafeteria is to be annoyed? I think that he's matching her. I don't know. But she looks at him with disgust briefly as the camera moves away from them. Also, one thing I want to note about this film that I love is the amount of background actors that have like the nose job bandages is such a genius detail. It's also not a joke. I mean, it is a joke, but like that is something you see here that I think is unique to Los Angeles. Why do you mention that, Chelsea? <laughs> the fuckettes know that Lauren, Lauren's on her second nose. <laughs> yes, I got a late in life nose job and then went out in public to see Fifty Shades Darker. The people in my high school, from what I knew, got nose jobs in the summertime. No one would be getting a nose job and then just straight up going back to school. But I thought where you were going with that is like, it's not okay to joke about nose jobs. That's not funny. This is where we get Cher using the R word. I'll use the phrase frittata instead. She says that she's a frittata because she took her dad's coffee instead. Oh, I totally didn't even notice that. Oh, yeah. Uh, she does, but anyway, that gets us the montage where she gives Mr. Hall, Wallachon, the coffee. He can give it to Miss Geis and they can share coffee together. Kind of a weird plan. I'm always like, Cher, you're such a weirdo for this. What is he going to have to give you the thermos back later? Cher is like 15 and a half. As if these adults can't figure out what Cher is trying to do. (laughs) But it works, and Dion and Cher watch... Their teachers like having a romantic moment on a park bench with the coffee. Old people can be so cute. And then we get yet another montage. This movie filled with montages. We need more montages in movies. And this is a montage of the teachers falling in love and not giving homework. And everyone claps for Cher, which is weird that everyone knows that Cher is doing this. That, like, she is the one responsible for everyone not having homework on the weekends and Miss Guys and Mr. Hall being way chiller. Word travels. Clueless falls into this high school movie trope where somehow a sophomore is the most popular person in the entire school. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense. They should just have them be seniors. I guess they had to create a reason for them to be virgins or something. Uh, yeah, certainly making her a senior would make it way less weird of what happens between her and Josh. <laughs> Later in the film. Yeah, because what? He's like a sophomore in college? A freshman or sophomore, yeah. He knows he's pre-law, so... That is like a big age difference for a 16-year-old. That would be like if we were like making out with 80-year-olds or something. (laughs) 
You know what I mean? Yes, I understand your point that when you are 16, someone who is 20 or 21 is as much of an age gap as us in our 30s kissing an 80-year-old. It's not quite literally the same age difference. But like conceptually. If I rocked up to dinner with you and Chad and I was like, hello. It's unseemly. And there's laws against it. Let's be real. Elder abuse, you mean? No, I don't mean elder abuse. I mean like a 16-year-old right. dating like a... yes. Although there is something called the Romeo and Juliet law, which is if you're dating someone when you're both minors and one turns 18, it's okay. How do I know this? Because in the Mark Wahlberg Transformers that I believe Nicola Peltz, now Beckham, is his daughter, they make a gigantic point about how he has a teenage daughter and she's dating a guy over 18, but it's okay because of the Romeo and Juliet law. That is a law that like should very much exist. Anyway, welcome to SVU Talk with Lauren. Yeah, that's Joe. also been referenced on, on SVU before, I was just about to say. So at the end of the montage, Cher's grades improve which causes her to want to help others. I mean, they're all iconic scenes, but when I think of this movie, the tennis court scene where we're introduced to Ty yeah. is certainly one of them. All of their coordinating outfits. Yeah, it's truly incredible costuming. They're all wearing black, white, and silver, like very L.A. Raiders-type color palette. Very Norma Kamali also. And then with the stripes and the stars and all of that kind of stuff. And that is certainly Mona May going with a philosophy that I'm sure was inspired by the uh, 80s and early 90s Raiders in Los Angeles. But they don't go to a school with a uniform. They've just all decided. <laughs> Again, it's a heightened world, but we accept it because they just look so fashionable that they're all somehow coordinating with each other. I read some article where she was discussing this and she said that if she'd had a bigger budget, she wanted the entire movie to be like that. Like every scene to have the same level of costuming as it did in this scene. But she just couldn't afford to do that with the budget that she had. And I will say sometimes when people have ultimate freedom, it's not the best thing. I think her budgetary constraint, which was she only had $200,000 budget to dress everyone. And so her initial idea was that they were to look like actual mall rats, like people who shopped at malls, but then also these very specific custom design things where they're yeah. all matching each other. It seems like a lot of the inspiration for the costuming was from high fashion at the time, not from how teenagers actually dress because no one dressed like this. I think sometimes younger people now think that this is how people dressed right. in the 90s, but actually like the coolest girl in your school was wearing like baggy jeans and a hoodie and a pacifier necklace and had like green hair like it was just like no one was wearing a lot of makeup they look like Ty yeah <laughs> everyone looks like Ty exactly ladies may I make a bold proclamation let's not start the new year wearing uncomfortable bras and shapewear we are days away from 2024 and I think that's the perfect excuse to treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear from who else Honey Love. Honey Love has revolutionized the bra and shapewear game to give you incredible support and comfort in one. Say goodbye to uncomfortable underwire and bulky fabrics that trap heat. Honey Love's bras feature supportive bonding that eliminates the need for underwire without sacrificing lift. Paul always knows when I have a Honey Love bra on because the girls, they look incredible. Their bras are also so comfortable. They're made with fabric that's so soft, you won't want to take it off. I sometimes sleep in mine, but that's a whole other conversation. And their shapewear? I've discussed my obsession with their superpower short. I love a short under a dress, and theirs is the best I've tried. 
Honeylove has revolutionized compression technology so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating while wearing effective shapewear. It has this X shape that sculpts your midsection without flattening out your natural curves. It also has these boost bands at the back of the thigh that makes your butt look amazing. When you try Honeylove, you'll immediately feel and see the difference. Treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save up to 50% off site-wide this week, only at honeylove.com slash outfit this month only. Inventory is limited and the sale ends soon, so don't miss their best deals of the year. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them, so please support our show and tell them we sent you. It's time to ditch the underwire for good, thanks to Honeylove. So yes, we get the introduction to the amazing Brittany Murphy as Ty. I forgot that it took us so long to get to Ty until she showed up and I was like, oh, right, you. Well, yeah, I guess you have to set up the idea that Cher wants to help. Her first contact high with that is setting up her teachers. And so she must convince Dion, who believes that their stock would plummet if they take Ty on as their own. They do take on Ty. She immediately asks them for weed. Yes, and also she thinks that the cafeteria offers cocaine when they say there's coke. Oh shit, you got coke here? (laughs) Yeah, it is America. So they're like, okay, you need a makeover immediately. Well, before that, we get the teen trope of explaining the different groups, which I wonder if it started in this film. They definitely steal it for 10 Things I Hate About You. That is Alana's group over there. They do the TV station. They think that's the most important thing on earth. And that's the Persian mafia. You can't hang with them unless you own a BMW. And there's Elton in the white vest and all the most popular boys in school. We definitely got that in Heather's. Yes. I think it was more because, I guess, Winona Ryder worked for the school paper. So she kind of, you saw all the clicks when she went around to like ask people like what they would do if like the world was going to end in a day or whatever. Which is funny that I haven't clocked it till we've been discussing it because Heather's is one of my favorite films. But between the more adult than you're used to for teenager dialogue, the heightened costumes, the clicks... Heather's has a lot to do with, I think, Clueless being the way that it is. Well, I would argue that Christian, the literal psychopath who we have yet to meet, is actually very similar to Christian Slater's character in Heather's, minus the literally killing people part. But I feel like he could head that way. Well, we'll get to that in a little bit. I don't know. Did you have an AV department at your school? Because I didn't, and I felt like I was missing out because it feels like every teen film from the 80s and 90s had an AV nerd joke. Yeah, we didn't have that shit. A TV station. No, we just had the yearbook. And newspaper. And the newspaper, which I did do that. Cute. I wrote for my newspaper in elementary school. And wouldn't you know it, I wrote about style. Ah, we got to dig up those columns. I have them in my garage. (laughs) That's amazing. I think I wrote a whole article about my friend Stephanie that wore the tiny butterfly clips, but she like filled her head with the tiny butterfly clips. Oh, there's that girl in every school. But there was a controversy in my school. The principal didn't want her wearing that because if she got hit in the head with a ball, she might injure herself and the school would be liable. Okay, that's psychotic. Yeah. Well, welcome to the school I went to. Also, I know I wrote some sort of middle school paper about about Clueless at the time that it came out, but that's also been lost. 
No. Yeah. So, yeah, we've got Ty meeting Travis. They bond over uh, drugs and drawing Marvin the Martian. Sharon Dion are like, you can't hang out with him because he's a stoner. And it's cute to smoke weed at, like, parties. But, like, it's not cute to, like, smoke weed during the day. Which I guess I half agree with. They do seem kind of annoying. They're like, are you talking about drugs? Oh, yeah. They're full-on narcs. Yeah. And then we get the montage of making Ty over. It's always hurt me the part where Sharon Dion is cutting the shirt around Ty so unevenly. It's like you've just (laughs) ruined that shirt. We have to note that Joel Sobule's supermodel is playing during this scene, which is truly incredible, really holds up. There's an inherent irony because Cher is trying to make Ty cooler, more conventionally hot looking, uh, even though Brittany Murphy is a smoke show. (laughs) It really is that movie trope of like, we put her in baggy clothes and glasses. Yeah, the miscongeniality effect. But the lyrics of Supermodel are, it's flaming the fashion industry. It's like, I'm a very unhealthy person to be a supermodel. Well, Jill Sobule is almost like parodying pop music also, because she was always more folksy singer-songwritery. I don't know if you remember, but her other indie hit was called I Kissed a Girl, which was pre-Katy Perry. When Katy's song came out, I was like, this is already a song that exists. <laughs> and it's pretty much like, it's similar to the Katy Perry one in terms of um, content. content. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this is where we get, I mean, so many 90s references, right? We've got Buns of Steel. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. The Mentos commercial. Which, can we talk about how good those commercials were? So good, so captured the nation's imagination that the Foo Fighters, what was that song? Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. It was one of their bigger music videos. Big Me. It was one of their first. And yeah, they make fun of the Mentos commercial, which what they make fun of in the commercials, the one I always remember, which is... The guy who is in a suit, who's on his way to a job interview, falls asleep or is laying on a bench and is like, oh, no. And there's a guy who's like taking the benches. He's like, look, it's wet paint. And then how he fixes the problem is that he fully lays down on the bench. And makes a pinstripe suit. (laughs) No, it's so good. They don't make jingles like they used to. Yeah, they really don't. Like now we just get like the Aflac duck and stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, unless you're a, an ambulance-chasing law firm that has taken out <laughs> ad space during daytime soap operas, you're not getting the same. Even Salino and Barnes don't exist anymore. <laughs> Injury attorneys. Well, they separated, right? They consciously uncoupled. So Cher is discussing her charitable makeover with Josh. She's like, I'm giving her the greatest gift. You know, I'm giving her a makeover making her popular, which, to be fair, is the ultimate gift in high school. She's not incorrect. Yeah. I clocked during this that Paul Rudd, who plays Josh, is making a bizarre sandwich. It's not the worst sandwich, but he's gotten bread, mayo, and a slice of chicken breast. No cheese, no mustard. Also, how is his character not a vegetarian, given the time period? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think Paul Rudd was like, I want to eat meat. So I don't think my character would do this. So now we're back at high school. 
Cher is taking photos of the click like she's Ellen Von Unworth or some shit. <laughs> it's a weird turn that it's like, oh, and I also am a photographer. She does a very amateur portrait of Ty holding a flower, which I think every teenage photographer has taken this photo of their friend. Yeah, I definitely have a moody photo of me in some dress taken by my friend. I don't know if I'm holding a flower, but there are flowers somewhere in the shot. In the 90s, it was all about getting your friend to wear like a slip dress and then you'd like go to the graveyard and like take photos. Yeah, I can attest. I mean, I had picnics in my graveyard, but it's not my graveyard, but it, it's the Hollywood Forever graveyard, which is open all day. And they do movie screenings there. See, there was a graveyard literally next door to my high school, so you just have to go there to smoke. This is maybe the worst that Cher has been. I mean, yes, she's a vaguely shallow person, but she lies to Ty by saying that Elton likes her. But to be fair, Cher does think that this is true because Elton wants the photo of Ty that Cher has taken. Well, this is one of the things from Emma that just doesn't quite make sense. Right. There's not really a photographic equivalent because in Emma, it's like she's painted a portrait. Right. Which is different than just snapping, snapping a, a photo. photo. Yeah. As Cher points out, Ty looks like one of those Botticelli chicks there are actually a lot of art references throughout this movie. Somehow, as a terrifying litigator, Dan Hedaya's character, as Cher's father, has excellent taste in sculptures. He does. So we're back at the house. Ty is over for dinner. She is yelled at for being in Mel Horowitz's seat. I'm not on the grumpy man's side, but she was sitting at the head of the table, a bit presumptuous. No mention of Cher's photo shoot, because I guess the, the big news of the day was that she broke in her purple clogs. They're supposed to to have a family dinner but thankfully her dad gets a work call and then Cher of course is back on her phone and they decide to go to the party in the valley the vowel party is that what you called parties in the valley I never called a valley party a vowel party here's the thing though Sun Valley very far away I have a hard time believing that Travis lives in Sun Valley Encino Sherman Oaks Tarzana absolutely I could keep going naming Valley neighborhoods, Joe. Where even is Sun Valley? It's behind Burbank, essentially. Oh, okay. It's far. It's far, but I love that we get this scene because it does feel like a real house party. Yeah, why are they shitting on the house party? This seems like an excellent house party. The only thing that makes it not realistic is the fact that everyone is in matching outfits. But of course, that adds to the heightened fun of it all. And this is a Christmas party. So everyone's like red, green, what have you. So much so that Amber is literally wearing the same outfit as Cher had in a previous scene. Cher is in the doomed satin shoes, which Travis immediately ruins. How is it that the feather trimmed jacket made it out alive? Do we feel like that's an Aliyah jacket? It feels, no. Yeah, it feels very not. not. As a dean would never. Yeah, no, it's way too frou-frou. It looks more like it could be, I don't know, Bloomerine, Dolce, something like that. I wouldn't even be surprised if it was from like Bebe or Wet oh, Seal yeah. or something Absolutely. like that. I feel like most of the clothes were not designer. There are a few things here and there. Like I guess the yellow plaid suit that Cher wears in the beginning is Dolce. Also, mall brands used to be so good and it makes me sad that no one has revitalized Bebe. They always try every few years. It doesn't really take. It needs us. 
I don't know if it needs us. I feel like it needs like whoever's doing the Blue Marine shit now. Well, it was a very hard day when we learned who owns, well, pun intended, hard candy now. What, Walmart? Yes. Yeah, we've known that for years. I'm, it's but terrible. I'm letting the listener know. Um, have you ever played Suck and Blow? Never. Have you? I try to avoid games, like party games, where you end up making out with your friends. I, I mean, I've also never understood Spin the Bottle, but this feels yeah. like Russian roulette with lips. It feels like this is a made-up game because the cast was not able to actually suck on a real credit card and, like, exchange it between lips. So then they had to make a credit card prop made out of cardboard, but then they couldn't even do that. And they punctured holes in it. So then they just had to put a lot of chapstick on everyone's lips or the card so that it would stick. Okay, so that's definitely not real then. No way. I think this is just all a ruse to get to the kissing. Right. Of Cher and Elton kissing. Which they could have just played spin the bottle. That's like a universally understood (laughs) game. (laughs) Well, but also it's like, what is even the end point of suck and blow after everyone has kissed everyone else? Well, suck and blow is kind of a combination of spin the bottle and like whatever it's called when you like, you know, blow weed smoke into someone's mouth. Sure. That game we all play. (laughs) Yeah, that. Sure. That's fine. I forgot how Ty gets her head injury and it's from, I knew it was a shoe, but I forgot that it flings off of a woman's foot during the group seated dance session to Coolio's rolling with the (laughs) homies. Coolio really peaked in 95. Between Dangerous Minds and this. Yeah. It was a good year for him on movie soundtracks. I recently learned he did not get an Oscar nomination for Gangsta's Paradise. Is that fucked up? And yet the Three Six Mafia has an Oscar. I know. Well, they're trying to like make up for it or whatever. Oh, I thought you were going to be like, I've heard the Academy's trying to take their Oscar away. It's so weird because I feel like people that didn't even like or listen to rap music like respected it in a way. Perhaps because of the Stevie Wonder interpolation aspect of it. Yeah, and also the operatic background vocal, something for the olds to clue into. It was a perfect rap song for the olds. The video had Michelle Pfeiffer. Anyway, Cher and Elton come to Ty's aid. I really hate how Cher gets between her and Travis in this scene. Who's like the nicest person in this film. Great party host, as we see. Stoner with a heart of gold, which is a movie trope in and of itself. And has ties to Amy Heckerling. Perhaps largely due to our girl. yeah. Yeah. And then Cher gets a call from her dad. Do you know what time it is? A watch doesn't really go with this outfit, which... I mean, very true. I love the background actor who's vomiting into the pool. That feels like a very L.A.-specific detail, although I've never actually seen that in the flesh. Another L.A. truism, at least at the time, everywhere in L.A. takes 20 minutes. In what universe? I think that's been bumped up to everywhere in L.A. takes 30 minutes at this point. Have you ever tried to go from Beverly Hills to Echo Park? That could take days. (laughs) All right, not that, but... I think the idea is that these people do not go to places beyond 20 minutes from the flats of Beverly Hills. The furthest east they could go is maybe Hollywood. Furthest south they could go is like Culver City. And then they could go to like Sherman Oaks. They would get just over Beverly Glen to Ventura and then be like, it's been 20 minutes, gotta go back. (laughs) So then there is a almost Californians-esque comedy bit about the best way to get Ty and or Cher home. Cher wants to set up Ty with Elton. 
He doesn't want to get off the 405. He hates that. This gets very Californians adjacent. Every time I watch this film as someone who grew up in Los Angeles, I'm trying to understand where they're even referring to trying to get to. <laughs> <laughs> this didn't exactly make sense. Suffice to say, Elton and Cher are in the same car together. Elton is singing the Cranberries? I don't know what's playing. I still refuse to believe that he's a Cranberries fan. Cher is continuing her weirdly altruistic quest to set him up with Ty, and he's obviously into her and wants to make out or possibly fuck in the clown liquor parking lot. Sorry, circus liquor. Circus liquor still exists. It is not in Sun Valley. It is very much in Burbank. It's on Burbank and Vineland. And many years ago, I was driving my friend Kayla around and we stopped and she looked up and saw the neon sign clown and she went oh my god are we in sun valley (laughs) i said don't worry that scene didn't actually take place in sun valley Oh, I remember the first time I saw that too. It's so delightful. Was it with me? It was probably I'm sure with me. it was with you. I've never gotten out of the car. I just drive by it. They have a nice uh, taco truck situation in the parking lot. And, you know, I bought a couple lotto tickets there. Haven't won, but <laughs> feels like a place you could win the lottery at. So things are getting date rapey. I know. He's not chill. It seems like things could possibly head that way. But we have to remember it's not an SVU episode. His repeated attempts to kiss her are aren't even the thing that make it totally date rapey. It's when he's like, do you know who my father is? When you're like, oh, this man's like a monster that's probably capable of like anything. It does feel like he's about to be like, well, now I have a heart on. You can't just make me hard and leave me here like this. Yeah, that would be the reality of the situation. (sighs) But he drives off. Leaving Cher stranded in the parking lot. Which Cher seems upset. She refuses to get back in the car several times, but then also seems shocked that he didn't drive away. (laughs) This is very funny, though. I was thinking about how that phone booth is probably still there, but there's just no phone anymore. Because <laughs> there are no public phones in the world anymore. It's kind of crazy. Really? I yeah. haven't noticed. I guess I just haven't thought about phone booths in a hot men. Not since Joel Schumacher's phone booth in 2002? I didn't even think about that then. <laughs> so Cher gets robbed. Cher gets robbed at gunpoint. Of course, a very funny, iconic scene that almost made its way into the theme song. For the TV show? No, for our podcast. Oh, this is our theme song. Sorry, that was too broad of a statement. It's funny when you make a theme song, it turns out this is an Aliyah and a Wada. It's like a totally famous designer was too long to put in uh, in sequence, but maybe version 2.0. I wonder if the Carrie Bradshaw getting robbed of her Manolos was inspired in sort of a subversion of this scene from Clueless because it was so iconic. The subversion being that in Carrie's instance, the robber knows exactly what designer she's wearing. For sure. This was the first time I had ever heard of Aliyah. You? Probably, yeah, because I was like 11. I think that was at the point where I'd started reading teen magazines, but wasn't reading women's fashion magazines yet. I think this is what good culture does, even good pop culture. And I think that's what's lacking from films today is that it teaches you something well the cultural references throughout this film are incredible impeccable so she gets robbed i think the the biggest humility is not just being robbed at gunpoint it's the fact that she has to get on her knees and ruin her satin pumps the dress is fine it's not like she had to like lay down in a puddle of gasoline or something (laughs) as you often do so josh picks her up 
with his pretentious girlfriend. We get moments of this before, but this really distills the brilliance of Cher Horowitz. What makes a on-the-surface vapid character so relatable, she's sort of this naive sage, and it's very within the character of how she owns Josh's girlfriend, Heather, which is... Heather is trying to quote Hamlet and Cher goes, Hamlet didn't say that. And she's like, I think I know my Hamlet. And she goes, I think I know my Mel Gibson, which I completely forgot that Mel Gibson <laughs> played Hamlet in a movie in, I believe, 1988. Yeah, I definitely didn't watch that. Also, worst tasting guys. Like, I think Christian Slater is also mentioned as someone she has a crush on. But yeah, I really love how Cher destroys that girl intellectually, I mean. And probably, you know, destroyed her soul as well. She's certainly not fucking Josh after this moment. So then she must break to tie that Elton isn't interested. So they cut school to have a calorie fest because Ty is so depressed. I think this speaks to 90s body culture because Ty immediately goes, it's my hips, isn't it? <laughs> it's like Brittany Murphy, you're the tiniest person in tiny person existence. Um, yes, they decide to blow off 7th and 8th to see the new Christian Slater and have a calorie fest. That's what I'm just going to call eating with you from now on. Calorie fest or <laughs> Christian Slater. Calorie fest. So that restaurant scene was supposed to take place at a California pizza kitchen. But once <laughs> once the CEO saw the penis and sex jokes, he was like, you can't do this here. What a fucking idiot. Yeah, I hope that guy got fired. Yeah. I think we need to bring back that 90s. I associate with LA because I grew up here, but like bistro vibes restaurant. This is the scene where it's established that Cher and Dion are both virgins. I guess Dion's like half a virgin. <laughs> Dion and Murray are doing full anal, like those like hyper-religious children that think they're not actually having sex. And Cher has the great line justifying her own virginhood, which by the way, again, she's 15 and a half. Not judging anyone, I'm just Oh, saying. she's not 16 yet? No, because she can't drive. Oh, okay. We don't know when her birthday happens. You know what? I like to think that Cher's birthday is my own because she says that she's born in April. So I'd like to think that she's a April 21st baby like myself. But she justifies her own virginhood by saying, you see how picky I am about shoes. I understand the logic, but Cher has full virgin pride, which seems like a weird thing to me. Even when I was a kid watching this, I was like, this doesn't make sense just because it's not cool to be a virgin when you're 15. I think this is one of the things, a carryover from Emma that, you know, doesn't really relate as much from the 19th century to 1995. It's also really funny that kids also came out this year showing like the opposite end of the teenage experience. Then we have the yet another montage when Cher is talking about uh, not wanting to be a traitor to her generation, but I found her reading of them quite accurate. And I think it even relates to today, except you could just replace greasy hair with men's podcasts about crypto. Well, wait, what does she say? She says, so, okay, I don't want to be a traitor to my generation and all that, but I don't get how guys dress today. I mean, come on. It looks like they just fell out of bed and put on some baggy pants and take their greasy hair, ew, and cover it up with a backwards cap and we're supposed to swoon? I don't think so. Okay, one thing I want to note about the costuming of this crew that they're showing is that it's like 50 subcultures put together. It's like they're half hippies, they're half stoners, half they're half Rasta. skaters, half Rastafarian. It's like, it's actually wild. <laughs> but it's a look. Definitely a vibe, yeah. Meanwhile, back in class, we meet the James Dean of Beverly Hills, 
and burgeoning American psycho Christian. If you are an arty, fashionable, and or creative straight girl in high school, you are obligated to fall in love with a gay man who will become your best friend. True. Do I speak from experience? Maybe. (laughs) I do admire his commitment to 1950s fashion. What was going on in Southern California in the early to mid 90s. Because between Pulp Fiction, which comes out in 94, Swingers, which comes out in 95, the Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Yeah, ska music in general. Ska music, uh, Gwen Stefani in Anaheim, Dita Von Teese is a stripper in Orange County. Like, what was going on with retro swing culture? (laughs) The 50s were just in vogue in the 90s, and they haven't really come back since in a really big mass way. Like, obviously, like... There's brands like Prada that are always doing different sort of 50s staple things like the flame shirts and the big nylon skirts and stuff. But it's not really trickling down to the masses in any sort of significant way. Right. There's no wink to the Gap swing ad from 1998. In the 90s, you could get really amazing 50s stuff at thrift stores. You can still get amazing 50s stuff at vintage stores, but it's not the same. It's Quite a choice, and I think this speaks to Amy Heckerling's understanding of subcultures because they are all distinct people that it speaks through their style and it comes out in the characterization. Yeah. Quite literally with Christian using, like, hip cat lingo. <laughs> I mean, that was disgusting. That was giving, like, jazz man from Sex in the City. Yes, there's definitely an overlap between uh, Craig Bierko's jazz man and Christian. Who is the most Jason Priestley-looking man in existence. True. So Cher is immediately obsessed with him. She then has to give a compelling argument for her debate class, which is pro-violence in the media, essentially. (laughs) And I feel like that is such a 90s wedge issue that no one talks about, I guess because children today have to deal with so much actual violence violence that it's like... Seems like a small fish to fry in the scheme of things. Clinton era culture war stuff. I really miss it. Yeah. There's a brief montage where Cher kind of gives her seduction tactics, which is a lot of sending yourself flowers in class. Is there a flower delivery man coming to class? Yeah. Like how how do they know what desk like? But I love the fantastical aspects of this film. There was a girl in my high school who came to school on her birthday with flowers and balloons that she clearly like got for herself and just like walked around all day with them and like sat in class with them. And it was very odd. In my high school on Valentine's Day, you could do that. Right, of course. But on no other day was that like normal. So she's somehow gotten Christian interested or at least enough that Christian's like, you must know where the parties are. And I didn't clock until this, my 88th rewatching of Clueless that... Oh, the William S. Burroughs book? Well, no, that I've... <laughs> that's that's the second pink flag we encounter apart from the fashion. About Christian, yeah. Signaling to the audience, those who know, know, and clearly share... <laughs> not including stop, 11-year-old me, might I say. <laughs> Christian believes that Cher knows where the cool parties are at. And this all-ages Mighty Mighty Boston's concert, I didn't clock till this viewing, is a party that Josh told her about? Because she's like, I don't know any parties, but my stepbrother Josh, who's in college, is going to this spot. Of which Josh is not going to this party because he's helping... 
Dan Hedaya, Cher's father, on some court case. This is one thing that I find funny about high school films is that the bands that perform for like the entire school are not bands that the entire school would like. It's like you're telling me everyone that went to the Jawbreaker prom loves the Donnas. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, the Mighty Mighty Boston's had some like big hits. But I wouldn't say that, like, the quote-unquote popular kids were big, like, ska fans. Oh, well, I have many questions about the club they end up going to that Mighty Mighty Boston's are playing at. But we cannot gloss over another iconic scene, which is Cher in the Calvin Klein dress. That line is as good as the Aliyah one. Maybe even better. Put on some clothes. I am. What's that address? Says who? Calvin Klein. Great. I don't think Amy Heckerling had any way of knowing, but Calvin Klein and Aliyah are brands that have endured so so well in the intervening years. We also get the great line that totally went over my head when I was watching it as a kid, which is when they get in Christian's car, he's playing Billie Holiday. Christian asks her if she likes Billie Holiday and she says, I love him. Yeah, that also went over my head. Okay, the club they go to is the brightest fucking club that has ever existed. And it made me realize... Is this an all-ages club? Like, is this a club for teenagers? Because Josh is seemingly under 21 as well. It seems like the Mighty Mighty Boston's might have done an all-ages show (laughs) at some point. I also love the faces that the frontman is making because it's very clear by the way that people are dancing, which is another thing I love to clock in films, that music isn't playing. (laughs) They are obviously lip syncing. Everyone is dancing to a song that they did not think was the actual song that was going to be in this movie. Ty shows up in some like fucked Oshkosh bagosh situation. To be fair, I was like eight at the time. I think I did have an outfit like that. But it's like, didn't you just get a makeover? Or is this just supposed to illustrate that she's depressed because Elton rejected her? She's backsliding on the style front. And now he's with Amber at the party. And the famous line about Amber is that she's a Monet. But I think the more savage diss is Christian's diss. Because they're like, what do you think, Christian? And he just pulls out his sunglasses, looks at her, and then says, Hagsville. The third pig flag of the film. I need to incorporate this into my vocabulary immediately. Perhaps we need that as a soundbite for like when we don't like a fashion show. It's more like a descriptor for like a Marjorie Taylor Greene or something. Hagsville. We're also missing that when Ty comes into the club, she falls down the stairs. And in that moment, every time I see it, I go... I do want to be considered a share, but I know that I have deep tie energy. <laughs> As someone that's constantly cold and bringing outer layers, I too am like, oh shit, do I tie this around my waist? Do I tie it around my shoulder? Like, what do I do with this outer layer? So Josh shows up because he thinks that Christian is sus, which he is. Yeah, I mean, basically what he's saying is like, I should watch her so she doesn't get date raped, right, Mel? But then he quickly realizes like, oh, he's gay because he sees him flirting with the bartender. Which Cher completely misreads of like, look, he's not even talking to the other woman. So Christian ends up wanting to rage all night. So her and Josh go home. They have a little bonding session. There's a brief scene where Josh agrees to stay for spring break because his mom calls and he tries to dodge the call. And then we get a very interesting homage to 2001 A Space Odyssey in the music cue and the the shots. 
of using her like speaker as like the monolith from 2001. Not as major as the Barbie movie trailer, but still no. very good. In which Christian sticks to his word and wants to hang out. And so we have another mini montage where Cher gets ready for her date because now she's like, we've hung out twice. I'm going to fuck him. <laughs> so she puts on a little red mini dress. And... I always like in the moment when Dion is doing her makeup and she's like, I'm all red. She is very red in that scene. They put like a shitload of CoverGirl blush on her face. Cher, a woman with no romantic or sexual experience, gives a lot of advice about dating. Kind of like Carrie Bradshaw, quite honestly. She's like, men love it when something's cooking and she just like plops that burrito <laughs> onto the tray. It's not a burrito. It's slice and bake cookie dough, Lauren. That's oh, the she... whole joke. Oh, is it? It's that she doesn't know how to do that. So she just drops it on a baking sheet. See, you learn something every time you watch Clueless. I love that you just are learning that now. Yeah. What are we up to with the pink flags? He's a Tony Curtis fan is a big one. Yeah, I, I was debating whether to put that he can clock all of Cher's dad's excellent sculpture artwork in the background as a pink flag. But yes, certainly him wanting to watch Spartacus. Because he has a thing for Tony Curtis. And then Cher hits on him and is rejected. This was a weird time in film because you did get gay characters, but the gay characters never talked about being gay. It was like the other characters around them. I guess because it was presumably like just like a shameful thing that you didn't really get into. But it works in this film for the humor of it all. Oh, which of course. Is, she's trying to play footsie and he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, my feet are cold. And he grabs the comforter and puts it on her ankle. Or she wants to, to be in the hot tub. And the actor who plays Christian does have a great realization moment of like, I gotta go. <laughs> she's trying to fuck me. <laughs> Also, he claims he has an ulcer. He's like, I'm sleepy. She's like, I'll make you a coffee. He's like, ah, I got that ulcer. Cut to the next day. Cher is relaying this humiliation to Murray and Dion. Because Murray is giving Dion driving lessons while Cher is in the back seat. She's like, I tried to fuck Christian. And Murray's like, lol, he's gay. Or he's a cake boy. I will read the entire line because this is, this is a white, I believe Amy Heckerling is a straight woman who spent her life with gay men writing dialogue for a teenage straight boy. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really need to know what percentage of straight 15 year old boys were familiar with the term friend of Dorothy in 1995. He's a disco dancing Oscar Wilde reading Streisand ticket holding friend of Dorothy. Know what I'm saying? <laughs> and they're like, no. And he's like, <laughs> he's gay. Uh there's a TikTok sound that's been going around of Wendy Williams when she, when she said on her show, denial is a river in Egypt. Your husband is gay. Yes, I know. I've heard that one. All right. This was the first time I ever heard the phrase friend of Dorothy. It was not the last. And I feel like I don't want to put anyone back in the closet, but can we start using the phrase friend of Dorothy again? Yeah, still works for me. That actually was a prominent plot point in a episode of the League of Their Own reboot. Saying friend of Dorothy? Yeah, there's a whole Wizard of Oz ep. So this revelation so distracts Dion that she somehow enters the freeway. And as someone that grew up in Los Angeles who wasn't driving yet, this scene scared the shit out of me. 
And driving on the freeways isn't exactly like this, but it's not not like this. Yeah. As someone that now drives in Los Angeles who loved this movie, how did this affect your life? Well, this is not the scariest freeway situation. I think the freeway stuff that scares me here is the on-ramps and the off-ramps and all of that shit in downtown LA. When you have to go across like five lanes in like three seconds or else you're going to end up in like fucking Tarzana or something. (laughs) Oh, no. Not Tarzana. The scene itself is not actually that scary. It doesn't seem like anyone's going particularly fast, but it's the concept that driving on LA freeways is terrifying, especially if you don't know what you're doing. I'm now remembering, I had a friend I grew up with who was so traumatized that she just never drove on freeways. Like we had a friend who lived in Pasadena and she would take surface streets from Sherman Oaks to get to Pasadena. Okay, that's crazy. So shockingly, they were able to survive and didn't end up in Tarzana. And then because of this shared trauma, they decided to fuck? Yeah. Nothing sounds like a reward than having sex for the very first time. As we all know, the best sex one can have. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the mall. This is the Fashion Square Mall. This is the mall that I used to go to. Yeah, I was like, where is that mall? Does it still exist? It does. It's a Westfield. It's really gone downhill. I wish it still looked like it did in the movie Clueless. But where is it? It's on Riverside in Sherman Oaks. Oh, okay. Uh, some random guys dangle tie off like the edge. Very scary. This does not do well for my intrusive thoughts and seeing this at a very impressionable age. <laughs> you can bet I never <laughs> sat myself up on a railing on the second floor of a mall ever. This is the only time that Christian is also like kind of cool. Yes. He saves the day. He gets a little macho. We see this sort of chivalrous side of him. And he does have the line before. He does have the leather jacket, which is James Dean or Jason Priestley, which I'm like, is no one going to note he looks a lot like Jason Priestley? <laughs> Later at school, Ty regales her classmates with the story of her brush with death. Did you notice the Snackwells product placement? Yes. Because I haven't thought about Snackwells in years, and it's because it no longer exists. Thank God. Because it was a victim of diet culture as we got rid of that. If anyone Gen Z is listening to this, just know that like we never got wellness We got Snackwells, we got Crystal Light, we got Alestra. We got Special K. Diet Coke. Like, that's sort of what we grew up with. And, like, nothing is more sinister than, like, a diet devil's food cake. It was very fat-free culture. No fat, but, like, all the sugar... All the processed shit. The fake shit to make up for it is way worse than just eating something with full fat and sugar. I'm now on eBay looking to see if you can buy vintage snack wells. You can. Not sure we want to eat them. No, it was disgusting. We've got a Nabisco apron with snack wells, Oreo, Chips Ahoy, and Butter Nutter. You mean Nutter Butter. Nutter Butter? (laughs) Nutter Butter. Sorry, that was my dyslexia. (laughs) Yes, and I love the game of telephone in this scene where... A girl comes up to share and is like, hey, is it true that Ty almost got shot by gang members in a mall? And Cher's like, no. And now Cher's like getting stressed because she's realizing that like Ty is like eclipsing her all about Eve style. To be fair, I would be a little annoyed if I actually was held at gunpoint and I'm trying to give my perspective and everyone's like, don't talk, don't talk. Back to the being held at gunpoint thing. Isn't that the ultimate way to get out of your curfew? 
Like, sorry, I'm late, dad. I was literally held at gunpoint. Yeah, I think that's why we don't see Cher being grounded in later scenes. Cher's stressed about Ty. She's stressed about her driver's test. She cannot find her collarless shirt from Fred Siegel. She's abusing her housekeeper. Yes, she thinks that Mexican is a language, which I don't know how I feel about that joke these days, but Josh is just generally there to ruin her vibe. He's there to like make the point that she's actually from El Salvador. Which is, so? It's like a completely different country. And then he's like, you get upset if people think that you live below sunset, which is genius. It's true, but I do believe she lives below sunset if she lives in the flat. One of those, yeah, I was about to say, like, there are nice houses below sunset. Yeah, the flats in Beverly Hills, a very nice place to live and very much where we are led to believe that Cher lives. I'm here for the joke, below sunset, just sounds right to the ears, even though it's not factually correct. (laughs) Cher goes on her driving test. She fails miserably. It's such a funny scene. (laughs) She almost kills someone. She costs conservatively $20,000 worth of damage to park cars. (laughs) She's like, so I passed, right? She's come up against something in her life that she cannot negotiate her way to success. This reminded me, though, of, do you remember when Tat had to get her American driver's license a few years ago. Actually, I And don't. she failed her driving test at the DMV. And then when she got out of the car, like there was some literal child that was like, daddy, daddy, I passed, like that had actually gotten their driver's license. Okay, to be fair, <laughs> I failed my written test the first time because me and multiple choice tests, I can convince myself anything is the right answer and then took driving lessons, driving lessons, driving lessons so that I wouldn't fail my driving test. And I took my driving test the day I turned 16. And at one point I looked over at the driving instructor and his eyes were closed as I was driving. And then at one point he was like, I want ice cream. And I was like, all right, you can do that afterwards. I still got six points off and I passed, but I wanted to be like, you were fucking sleeping. How do you even know? (laughs) Cher comes back. A very upsetting sight to see after failing your driving test, which is Josh and Ty playing hacky sack. Something that people don't really do anymore, but my God, was it all over everyone's high school in the 90s and early 2000s. Cher is like in a bad mood already, but she's just like extremely triggered. She tries to talk to Ty. Ty confides in her. She actually has a big crush on Josh and is like totally over Elton. Wants to burn all of the things she kept related to Elton. I like the detail that she wants to throw in the gas fireplace that Cher has the uh, the Coolio cassette tape and Cher's like, oh, I'll take that. Don't, don't throw that away. Cher's annoyed for reasons which will be revealed shortly. Ty is like, you gotta set me up with Josh. It's not like, hey, I like Josh. Like, how do we go about this? She's like, okay, I see what you tried to do with Elton. You do that with Josh. Well, even I would be like, can you not like fuck my stepbrother? Like <laughs> awkward. They get into a big old fight, which gives us maybe one of the most famous lines from the film, which is, you're a virgin who can't drive, which if you were a clueless freak like me and got the DVD, there is a behind the scenes where Brittany Murphy says, at the time, I was a virgin who couldn't drive. (laughs) 
Well, and at the time I watched it, I was a virgin that couldn't drive. So I was like, God, I'm such a fucking loser. It didn't make you fear that anyone at some point during a fight would call you a virgin who can't drive. (laughs) She goes on her sad, introspective walk down Rodeo Drive. Do you know how she's able to get there? Because she lives in the fucking flats of Beverly Hills. Right. She just walks out her front door. Not above sunset. (laughs) Walks down Rodeo, walks past the witch house, which is... Also still there, iconic piece of Beverly Hills architecture. Oh yeah, that's protected. That's not going anywhere. I was remember being really shocked the first time I saw it. There's also a lot of houses, or maybe not a lot, but a fair amount of houses in Beechwood Canyon like this. That look like that, yeah. That look like the fucking seven dwarves are about to, you know, waddle out or whatever. Mostly because a lot of those homes were built in the 30s by Walt Disney for his animators to live in. Which house still there. I mean, she's extremely dumb, so she doesn't know why she feels like shit. She's a naive sage. I think we can all relate to not being able to see the things right in front of us, especially when they come to relationships and emotions of course but then she has an epiphany which is perfectly timed with the fountain behind her this is such a brilliant detail which i believe is inspired by the film Gigi. i i don't remember that in Gigi. i have seen Gigi though yes the scene where Cher wanders around and realizes her true feelings for josh as fountains erupt is borrowed from Gigi 1958 where gaston does the same thing the music playing when Cher stands at the top of the stairs in her white dress before her date with christian is taken from Gigi as well See, I still don't understand all of the cultural references in this film. Guys, this film operates on so many levels. What else have we missed? So Cher doesn't know how to act around Josh anymore. And this is when she realizes her final makeover, which is on herself. But she wants to make over her soul. So she decides to head up the Pismo Beach Beach Recovery group which is a fake disaster by the way lest anyone think that that actually happened it's a beach in san luis obispo maybe inspired by the fires that happened in malibu the year before i don't know so shares like collecting canned food sporting equipment her old clothes her father's skis She's working like at the school where they're sort of gathering and organizing all of the supplies. Travis comes in to donate some stuff, including his bongs, because he's now in Narcotics Anonymous for weed. Something I didn't catch when I watched this film as an adolescent, that that's a bong. (laughs) Such idiots the first time we watch this. I mean, it's okay for some of this stuff to go over our head. Yeah, I definitely didn't know what a 12-step program was when I was 11. I do have this memory of being a child and watching Clueless. My dad was in the living room with me, and I remember like going out of the room, and it's when Christian... Uh, first arrives at the school and I remember telling him and this is all I remember from this memory is oh dad stems mean legs and then I just like walked out (laughs) and he was like okay he probably knew that if anything that's like yeah that's like an old timey that's more like rat pack type shit I know we're going backwards but my god do I love Dan Hedaya's line when he first meets Christian he's like do you think the death Death of of Sammy Sammy Davis Davis Jr. Jr. left an opening in the rat pack yeah that's a serve anyway this scene is also Travis telling share that he is competing in a skateboarding competition and he would love for her to come she does this is where she makes up with ty and quickly realizes like oh ty still wants to fuck travis like i'm fine i got josh all to myself back at home share is helping her dad and josh and other random lawyer dudes with their case 
Yes, this is like the the C or D plot of this film is that Mel Horowitz has a big old case that Josh is helping on and then Cher attempts to help and, and fucks it up. Cher just has to like highlight all of the conversations from January 3rd or something. Honestly, a repetitive task that doesn't have to do with the computer that I would love to do. <laughs> well, we have our sticker mailing coming soon. Guys, sorry we're late on that, by the way. You'll understand why once you receive our next, I guess, sticker pack. We owe you guys more than <laughs> more than one sticker at this point. The Richard Burton tier, that is. But if you would like to get on the Richard Burton tier and receive several stickers. You should. The lawyer gets mad because Cher fucked up and he's mean to her and she runs. And this is where even a middle-aged lawyer can see that these two teenagers want to fuck each other. And he's like, you know what? I'm taking a sick day. You explain to Mel what the fuck is going on. And uh, Cher has overheard everything. She's at the top of the stairs. And this is where they kiss. I always love Paul Rudd's line delivery when he's like, well, you know, you're gorgeous. And she's like, you think I'm gorgeous? He goes, you know you're gorgeous. And then they kiss, which I don't know if Alicia Silverstone and him have the greatest I think she's a little young to have that kind of raw sexuality. Their sexual chemistry, not the best. But, you know, that's fine because they are (laughs) step-siblings. The film does so much to make you forget that while they're not related, this is still bizarre on several fronts. The age difference, the fact that their parents were married and that's how they met. It's slightly less weird that their parents are now divorced, I suppose. Yeah. It goes from their kissing to Cher's voiceover that says... Well, you know what happened next, and we cut to a wedding, and she's like, oh, as if I'm only 16, and this <laughs> isn't Alabama. I think it was Kentucky, but way to generalize. I'll take that heat. That's fine. So Cher has generously donated her father's house to Miss Geist and Mr. Hall's wedding. Yeah, why not? Another act of charity. And the only thing I actually remember about this scene is Dion's nautical wedding gown concept. I hope she got to do it. The bridesmaids wearing little sailor hats with veils is a truly adorable detail. Should I adopt that? Someone should have a nautical themed wedding. Yeah, someone should. So it's time to throw the bouquet and all the girls and the PE teacher, a butch woman in a suit, are all competing to catch this flower arrangement savagely like monsters yeah i'm glad that this tradition has sort of fallen by the wayside when it comes to weddings has it maybe i leave weddings before a bouquet is thrown the garter belt has left because that was weirdly horny to begin with the bouquet is still there Although I'm never not shocked by how savage people are trying to catch it. Like, it's not just something that you see in movies. It's like watching bitches fight over, like, a Proenza schooler dress at the Barney sample sale. I've told you about this story from my childhood that I was a flower girl at my mom's cousin's wedding. And it was a big Long Island wedding. And my mom's cousin had married a a younger woman and they did the garter and the throwing of the bouquet and the bride's maid of honor, her best friend caught the bouquet and like elbowed me in the head, was like very savage against young children. (laughs) But the best thing is that my cousin who was 
14 at the time, caught the garter, and they added this other thing, which I have never seen again in a wedding, which was... Oh, yeah, you have to dance with the... No, the person that catches the garter puts the garter on the woman who caught the bouquet's leg. No. Yes, and this woman, justified because... That bitch elbowed me in the head, but so awkward. It's seared <laughs> into my memory. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. They dance? Is that what's supposed to happen? Yeah, I think they're supposed to dance together. Well, we'll never know because I've never been to a wedding since this has happened to, nor will I ever go to a wedding where I think something like that happens in. Anyway, Paul Rudd sets it up that uh, they have a bet going of who's going to get the bouquet. And Cher's like, it's in the bag. She gets it. Because Cher Horowitz is a winner, all right? She's always going to come out on top. But what's the likelihood of staying with your high school sweetheart? I would love to discuss how long we think Josh and Cher stayed together, if they got married, and what Cher's career became. Well, when you think about it, Cher is a very Kim Kardashian-adjacent person. Her dad's a lawyer. Right. She grows up in Beverly Hills. She have some sort of closet organizing business. And then, you know, perhaps do her charitable work as well. Get into prison reform, you know? So you're saying it's Kim Kardashian minus the sex tape in the reality show. Yeah. So it seems like Josh would be one of her husbands. Yeah. As my father would say, a starter husband. There's no way that's lasting, but... I'm glad they never made a sequel to this movie. I'm sure there was a lot of pressure to make a sequel. I don't know. I I couldn't see that in the trivia. I think they went the TV show route, which the funny thing about the TV show that I've never seen in any movie that becomes a TV show is how many of the characters from the movie ended up in the show, which feels very discombobulating because many of the important people like Cher and Cher's dad and Josh aren't in the TV show. Well, those were the only people that weren't in the TV show. Everyone else was in the TV show. The teachers, the rest of the clique. I believe Clueless, at least for me, was on UPN. If you could catch like a rerun of the Babysitter's Club on Fox and then like go over to UPN and catch Clueless on TV. Oof, what a Saturday afternoon. Clueless was on on Fridays, though. It was TGIF. Oh, I just remember it in syndication. No, I watched it like as it airs. I was a big TGIF person. We're both correct. It was on ABC for 18 episodes for the first season, then went into syndication on UPN for seasons two and three. All right. Well, there you go. (laughs) I don't always need to be right, but only when I am right. You're half right. Chelsea's officially done with me. The movie is over. What an important seminal. I want to stop saying the word seminal. Someone actually called into the hotline and was like, you guys have to stop saying seminal, especially when you're discussing feminist films. And I agree with her. I am making an effort and you should too, Lauren. Okay, I'll take that back. Thank you guys for joining us for a very important film to us and probably yourselves in the Every Outfit canon. We'll be back in a couple weeks with something else. Yes, we will. (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys. All right, bye. Bye. Bye.